And uh, the kingdoms come in, with wooden nails gripped with joy. That kind of is the, gospel, the, the message of Matthew, the series that we're in, right there. We can all just go home right now, all right? Let's, no, we're not doing that. Uh, my name is Barry. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a, it's a privilege, a humble privilege to, to share with you this morning. I want to welcome you to worship, welcome you to this Sabbath Sunday, welcome you to the first full day of spring. Can I get a woo, woo? All right. <laughs> Try not to blast you with the mic. Um, you know, and I don't know about you, but we got spring, we got longer evenings, COVID numbers are down. It's, I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm feeling some hope. Are you feeling some hope? I'm feeling just, yeah. And not to make a patronizing transition, but on that note, let's pray. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much uh, for the gift of worship. I thank you that you... Uh, Thankfully, God, you go by smell and not by sound. I pray that our worship has been a sweet aroma to you. Father, thank you for your words that we're going to dive into. Thank you for um, your grace in giving us something to go by to navigate this fallen world. Father, we want to go where your spirit leads this morning. Uh, may the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. God, you are our rock and our redeemer. I thank you for that. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, several years ago, I uh, was in Chicago, and it actually happened to be the same exact day that Michael Jordan announced that he was coming out of retirement. Now, I don't know if some of you may not even know Michael Jordan. You know, I do happen to think he's the greatest of all time basketball-wise. LeBron, yeah, I'm with him too, but, you know, maybe there's two eras, the Michael era, the LeBron era. But, you know, Jordan had this incredible stellar career. His, his dad was uh, tragically murdered, uh, and that kind of wiped him out. He, he stepped away from basketball, actually played baseball. I actually saw Michael Jordan play a minor league game of baseball. Isn't that wild? Michael Jordan, a right fielder out there, anyway. Um, but happened to be in Chicago the day he announced he's coming back. Obviously, in Chicago, it was happy days are here again. Um, we're walking down Michigan Avenue, you know, the big avenue in Chicago, and there's this street musician, and he's got some bongos, and he's just bongoing. I'm not a bongoer, as you can tell. <laughs> and he's got his bongo rhythm going, and he's just saying, Michael, he's coming back. Michael, he's coming back. My, and that's all he did. I think he sung that song the whole evening. Uh, we went back through, and sure enough, there he was, singing again. Well, I feel like the passage that we're looking at today is Matthew sitting on the side of a street with his bongos, Jesus, he's coming back, Jesus, he's coming back. And that's the, that's the element that we're going to be looking at this morning in this, uh, in this very precious passage. Now, we are continuing in Matthew, this quest that we've been on. I hope that you have found beauty in this quest. I know it's been a while, but, you know, it's like there's so much in this gospel. And the big theme that we want to make sure we all keep track of is the gospel of Matthew is, is practical teaching on how to live out the gospel message in our everyday. You know, it's Jesus throughout that gospel saying the kingdom of heaven is now, and here's how, what it's to look like. From the Beatitudes in chapter 5, to the passage we're looking at today in chapters 24 and 25, where he begins to talk about his return. It all has to do with what the message of the gospel looks like in our day-to-day -day lives. And in today's passage, we take a 
the spotlight kind of takes a turn toward Jesus' return. Um, just to set the setting, in Matthew 21, which was a few chapters earlier and a few days earlier, we have the triumphal entry. So just to give you an idea of where we are in Jesus' ministry, and by the time we're here, we're at and you know that triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, which we're going to celebrate, I think, next Sunday. Uh, it's Palm, there's people laying their clothes down, they're like, hey, King, you know, Hosanna, the, the King has come, blessed be the name of the Lord, all these very things. And it's from that point on that, that Jesus' teaching, it begins to really thicken up. I mean, he is now one key teaching after another. And when we hit Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus and his disciples have plopped down on the Mount of Olives, and it's what scholars will refer to as the Olivet Discourse, if you ever want to sound smart, and Matthew 24, 25 comes up, ah, yes, the Olivet Discourse. Um, Brad introduced us to this last week, and and in in this discourse, in this exchange, it's really like Matthew's version of Jesus' farewell address. John has one, too, that's just precious, but this is kind of Matthew's, and and when Jesus starts off with his disciples, he, he begins with some very specific things. And that's what Brad covered for us in a great... By the way, let's give it up for Brad last Sunday. First day for preaching here. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you for your encouragement last week. But Jesus talked about some very specific events, and he actually gave a very specific time frame, the destruction of the temple. And it's going to happen before this generation passes away. And it does. And we go through the events of, of AD 70 when Jerusalem is, is destroyed and But then Jesus kind of turns the subject toward his return. And all of a sudden, his language gets very ambiguous. It gets a little more iffy from a time standpoint. But in this, in this, Jesus gives us some instructions on what to do with the hope of his return. So that's setting it up. And we're going to be now, I tell you, the text this morning is long. And I looked at a way to try to shorten it. But there's just no way. And it's kind of like what Mike was saying about First Peter. You know, it's just it's too good. And, and by the way, I would much rather you hear the direct words of Jesus than anything I say. So we could, should probably just spend the next 30 minutes just reading the words of Jesus. So it's not really shortened. Um, but I have done something. I've brought some friends to help us along. And this, these friends are kind of maybe for the littles, but they're also for the bigs. All right? I want to use these little props to maybe help us know where we are in the passage each time. Now, last week, Brad introduced us to the doomsday clock. This clock is a little friendlier, all right? (laughs) And by the way, I have permission from Reed to use this clock. I learned a long time ago. Ask permission. Um, So if you would, and I'm not going to ask you to stand, but turn to Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to be reading verse 36 through chapter 25, verse 30. And I'm going to be switching out our friends as we move uh, through the different segments of this, uh, of this passage. So this is Jesus speaking, again, on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. But concerning that day and hour, and he's just referred to his return, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the days when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, He will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth we're now moving to a different segment. We're changing out our friends. <laughs> We're setting down the, the friendly clock. We're bringing up a lamp. I ask permission to use this too. <laughs> then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Well, since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And when they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now we move to another segment. This bag represents cold, hard cash. Okay, do you see Chase? (laughs) Putting that right there. For it will be, again, Jesus continuing to talk about what the return is going to be. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, which is money. To another he gave two. To another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one he, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours." But his master answered him, "You wicked and slothful servant, You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I could have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, set this here for a moment. You know, there's a, there's a play called The Curious Savage. Does anybody know that? Does that ring a bell? Okay. It's got a little cult following, and it's popularly done in high schools and, and colleges, and I want to, I'm going to tell just a quick story. I want you to keep track of, this, of this, all of these parables, because this is going to help, hopefully help put it together. In this play, and I, I went to Anderson University, and when I went back to work as a recruiter there, the college did this, did this play as a production. And I went to it. And just quick setting, um, there, there are quick synopsis. The setting is a, a retirement home, and there are several characters in this home, and they're all very functioning characters, except for maybe one little quirk. And that's kind of what has got them in this retirement home. Well, one of the characters in this home, every time someone would leave the room, the scene, they leave the home, not, not discharged, but you know, leaving for the day, this character would say, don't forget your umbrella. And every time, it became kind of a recurring funny line, and it would happen at inopportune times, and it just became a, a theme throughout that play. Every time someone leaves, don't forget your umbrella. Well, near the end of the play, the line is explained to us. And, and what's happening here is when this character is saying, don't forget your umbrella, it's raining out there. What she's saying is, I care about you, which is to say, I love you. Now, the author of this play has gone on to have some pretty famous quotes. And one of them is, we say, I love you in many ways. When we say, hurry back, when we say, don't forget your umbrella. That line, for whatever reason, has stuck with me. And I've realized over the last maybe 10 or 15 years, when, when someone's leaving our house, and maybe it's evening time, and maybe it's my parents driving back home to Preble County across country roads, and it's dusk, and when the deer are out, I will say, watch out for deer. And we have made the parallel connection with that play and that line, don't forget your umbrella. Because what we're saying, and now our family says that to each other, we've been saying that for a long, long time, watch out for deer. Because what we're saying is, I care about you, which is to say, I love you. I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, as he's given us these very vivid 
parables and images. He is saying to us, don't forget your umbrella. (laughs) Watch out for deer. I love you. I care for you. I don't want you to be caught off guard. And because I don't want you to be caught off guard, I'm going to give you some ways to think about this and some ways to go about this. And that's what's going on in this particular passage, in this big chunk of Scripture. And in this, there there are three very distinct segments. And each of these segments really teaches themselves. But if we were to give this passage a a 30,000-foot view, you're going to see three big themes. Number one, be ready. Number two, be prepared. And number three, be aggressive. Which sounds a little bit of a one-off, but it all fits together. Um, So the first chunk, the first segment, be prepared. And we're using our friendly clock to remind us of the part of the parables, or the part of the passage, where we're at and where we're working in. And here, here we've got, Jesus paints this picture of being, people being unaware. And he uses the imagery of, of Noah's day. And, and then he talks about people disappearing out of nowhere. I remember, remember as a kid hearing this passage preached for the first time. It scared me to death, you know. It might have been because I think I had some separation anxiety issues. Um, not out of fault of, you know, parents or anybody around me. I, I was a neurotic kid, you know. And so this, this idea that all of a sudden someone could be gone, it kind of scared me. Um, but what's going on here, there's a, there's a characteristic of Jesus' return that he wants to make sure we get. And that is, it's, it's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected, don't waste your time trying to predict it. But because it's going to be sudden and unexpected, particularly to the unaware, Jesus is saying, be ready. Be ready. This could happen tomorrow. It could happen a month from now. It could happen a long time from now, as we saw in the parable of the talents. No matter what, be ready. You know, there's an old line. Maybe you've heard this line. Don't be doing anything you wouldn't want to be doing when Jesus returns. Do you know that line? <laughs> Works great in youth ministry. You know, we use that a lot. Um, but it's kind of very true. You know, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. The analogy that comes to my mind, you know that, that recurring dream that you have where you're in college, it's the end of the semester, and you realize you signed up for a class that you never attended? Have you had that dream? Okay, <laughs> that is the weirdest thing. And, and you show up on the last day. You realize, you, oh yeah, I've got this class. And everyone's, they're all set. They're ready. They're ready for the final. Final's being given. You haven't even been to class. You forgot you took it. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from in the part of the brain. But it's like, Jesus is like, I, I don't want you to have that feeling. I don't want you to have that feeling. When I come back, I don't want you to have the sense that you never signed up for this. Because it's going to come I don't want you to be caught off guard. I think that when we see Jesus, we're going to have an instant awareness of everything that is important. When we see Jesus, all of a sudden, things that are not important are going to boil away, and things that are important are going to be right in front of our face. I think we're going to find ourselves saying, why did I waste so much time fill in the blank? Why did I waste so much time striving? Why did I waste so much time worrying? Why did I waste so much time projecting an image of myself that I'm not? Why didn't I take Jesus more seriously? And even more sadly, 
why didn't I get to know Jesus? And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that Jesus is trying to say. Know me before I come back. Don't be caught off guard. And you know, if you've ever found yourself facing something that's going to change your circumstances, you know, maybe it's a diagnosis of a fairly serious illness or disease, or maybe it's an injury that's going to change how you do things, or maybe a dear friend is moving away or has moved. It's amazing what your mind does and how it reflects back on, on whatever it is that has now changed. And for me, what, what begins to happen is I, I wish I would have maximized something more than I did. That's, that, that's, almost, that's a constant. You can count on that. And Jesus is like, I don't want you to have this. Do this now. Let this happen now. Don't have this feeling when I return. You know, I also feel like as we move out of this pandemic, hopefully, thankfully, we're beginning to see light at the end of the COVID tunnel. And I think some of us are beginning to have a little bit of a retrospective of how we've used this time. You know, how we've used this time to, to process fear or how we've used this time to navigate differences of opinion or how we've used our downtime when we have been quarantined or when we were forced to be quarantined, whether we were sick or not. Ran across yesterday a column by, by Tom Hanks. Um, the Wall Street Journal did a feature. They asked several notable people to write about their, their experience through the pandemic. Of course, Tom Hanks was one of the first famous people who you know, contracted the, the virus. And, and he said this. This is just kind of quoting a couple lines. You know, in the past year, you played solitaire. If you played solitaire, even a single game, you wasted that time. <laughs> he said, take it from me. I played many hands of the game, and I have nothing to show for the effort. And then he went on to talk about, you know, why wasn't I, you know, cleaning out the dishwasher? Why wasn't I taking care of chores? Why wasn't I writing down stories in my mind? I'm a storyteller for in, my, in my job. Why am I not doing that? Why am I not practicing scenes? And he's like, I had nothing to share for my time. And I feel like that many of us are starting to wonder that. Okay, how did I redeem this crazy experience that we just had? I think we're all beginning to have some ideas of, of how we could have better redeemed the time. Well, the same is true for the end of the age. And Jesus is in this passage. He is front-loading that experience. He's like, don't get to that point and wish you'd have done something different. He's, he's like, I love you. I don't want you to have any nervousness. I don't want you to have any anxiety. There's a, there's a passage in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul's writing this. And, and 1 and 2 Thessalonians talk a lot about Jesus' return. And here Paul says, But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. You're not of the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Jesus wants us to live in a way that expects his return today. 
Now, I'm not sure what you might need to do to stay in that constant state of awareness. I love that in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul uses the language of being sober and not letting, let, not letting the day surprise us. I'm always inspired and humbled by those who have achieved sobriety from some type of addiction, whether it's sobriety from, from alcohol abuse or drug abuse or, or any other, many other things. And, and they will often mark their success in days. They will say, it's been 1,156 days since I have, and whatever it is. That's a humbling, inspiring aspect. So maybe each of us need to figure out a way to start counting some days. Maybe take a picture, or maybe Google image a phone uh, clock like this and make it the wallpaper on your phone. Something that reminds you that this is another day that I'm expecting Jesus to come back. That's the type of expectancy he is asking for us. That's what he wants us to have and to enjoy. That's why Jesus is saying, hey, I love you. Be prepared or be, be ready for this return. Which brings us then to our second segment, changing friends. Be prepared. This is the parable of the lamps and the bridegroom. And the virgins. And you know, this is another Bible scene that I remember being preached for the first time. <laughs> it was just so weird. You know, there's just some strange elements in this parable. I mean, lamps, midnight, the midnight cry, virgins, you know, <laughs> late coming bridegroom, what's up with that? I just, that was always just the strangest thing. And this just seemed like a, a strange story to have in Scripture. But, but it, there's, a, and there's a subtle difference between what Jesus is saying here and what he's saying with regard to the, the left-behind scene, there's an element of readiness with the, the, the parable of the, of the virgins and the bridegroom, but there's also an element of preparation. Jesus is like, again, it's going to be unexpected. It's going to be sudden. I want you to be prepared. And not only be ready, be prepared. A few years ago, I had a, a golf lesson and uh, I know, if any of you have played golf with me, you're like, you had a lesson? Really? <laughs> you should have one again. No. Um, so I had this lesson, and the, the, the pro was trying to teach me balance. And, and he, he had me you know, line up in the way I'm going to you know, address the ball, hello ball. And, and uh, so he had me say, and he goes, now, he said, I want you to get how you're, you're getting ready to swing. And he said, I'm, I'm going to push you either from the front or from the back. You're not going to know. I want you to be prepared for either direction. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be good, man. He's not going to knock me over one bit, you know. And I'm all ready for this, and I'm, I'm, I'm all set. And he, 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 it looks like he's getting ready to go, and he just goes, there's your balance right there. You're balanced. <laughs> Isn't that a great lesson? He didn't push me one way or the other. He just wanted me to prepare, be prepared for either direction. I, that was years ago. I still use that thought. It's, it's like that's what Jesus is saying. You don't know when this is going to come. Be prepared. You know, there's a, there's a word in Scripture. It's a very special word. It's translated a number of ways. It's translated as prepared. It's translated as complete. It's translated as perfect. But the, the translation that most intrigued me is when it's translated equipped. And when this word was used, it was meant to be thoroughly prepared. The Greek language would use this word when they would describe a ship that's getting ready for battle. It's in ship shape, I think is where we get that phrase. 
It was used to describe the, your, your quiver, that your arrows are, it's full of arrows that are sharp and your bow is taut and ready to go. It was used to describe an apartment or a house that's furnished, fully furnished, ready for someone to move in now. Um, that's how that word, that's the nuance that that word had. There are three passages I just want to read real quick because I want, I want you to get a sense of the type of preparation that's happening because here's the thing. Each time this word is used, there's a spiritual entity that actually helps with the preparation and helps with the being thoroughly ready to go. In Hebrews 13, I think we've got this, just you can follow along. Now may the God of peace, who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy 3. Listen for the equipping. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Did you catch the preparation that's going on there? You know, in Hebrews 13, it is God himself who's equipping. In 2 Timothy 3, it is the word of God that's doing the equipping. In Ephesians 4, it's gifted leaders that's doing the equipping. And so then all of a sudden, this becomes a very convicting question to me. As I am staying mindful of Jesus' return, how can I enjoy intimacy with God and allow for the presence of God to change me and to prepare me for Jesus' return? How can I grow in knowledge and understanding through God's Word? What am I doing to experience God's words firsthand in a way that prepares me and equips me in light of Jesus' return? And in what ways am I putting myself under the teaching and authority of gifted leaders to speak truth to me and to speak truth into me and to give me a, a, a group to, to submit to? When Jesus is saying, be prepared, he is saying, I love you. His way of saying, don't forget your umbrella is, keep the oil in your lamp. But here's the thing. Not only is he saying keep the oil in the lamp, he's like, I'm going to help you fill it. I'm going to help you stay prepared if you allow me to do that. And by doing that, we will not be caught off guard. And when, those, when the clouds roll back, we'll be like, oh yeah, I was expecting that. Ah, that's cool. <laughs> and it, we won't have that sense of nervousness. There'll be a familiarity in that moment. Be prepared. Which then moves us into our third segment. Be aggressive. <laughs> Boom. Now, it's convenient to use this parable of the talents and popular to apply it to spiritual gifts, you know, our talents and, and our time and the things we do. And I, I think that's helpful and instructive. But I think the true point in this passage isn't what we're doing with our spiritual gifts, but it's what are we doing with the message of the gospel in our life? How am I letting the message of the gospel multiply in me? 
the gospel is not something that's to be placed in a hole that we have dug in the ground. The gospel is to li- be lived aggressively. Did you notice that the two, the first two, the guy with the five talents, the guy with the two talents, they traded. They traded their talents. They didn't even just put it in a bank. They traded their talents. Their mixed asset class is going to say aggressive. You know, they, they are not sitting on it. They're not putting it in bond funds. They're in an aggressive mode with this. And that's how the gospel message, that's how the gospel is to be played out. But here's the thing. Before we get grandiose, you know, and thinking aggressive and multiplied and all this, we have to keep track of the start point. Because think about how these two, these first two were described. Jesus said to them, you have been faithful over a little. I think Jesus is saying to us, first off, think small. Before you get any big plans, think small. I think Jesus is like, I want you to think of the church of one, ourselves, ourselves as an individual. You know, there are many facets of Jesus to get to know. And when I think about being faithful in the little before I'm entrusted with anything else, I want to apply that small thinking to my knowledge of Jesus and actually to my relationship with Jesus. You know, right now, this is the only opportunity that we will have to know Jesus in the span of existence called time. Right now is the only time that we will know Jesus through redemption. It's the only time that we will get to experience grace. It's the only time that we will get to experience mercy. It's the only time we will get to experience salvation. When Jesus returns, it's a whole other ballgame. And we'll know him in a whole other way. And hopefully we'll know him if we know him through salvation here now. And as I sit here as an individual and think about the gospel in my life, I want to simply figure out how I can maximize every aspect of Jesus in this span of existence called time. Um, And I want to be aggressive in exploring and knowing Jesus. There's a passage in, um, in 2 Peter. And Mike, i got to pick back up on your worship thought. You know, I, truly, anytime I see something from First or Second Peter, I'm like, it's going to speak to me. I don't know what it is about Peter and his, and his writing, you know, but there's something about that. When Second Peter, and this is the message, and I think we've got this to, to toss up. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love, each dimension fitting into and developing the others with these qualities, active and growing in your lives, being aggressive with these qualities in our lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our Master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. Let the gospel message get aggressive in your heart and in your life. And you know, think about this. Think about, you know, if you have said yes to Jesus and you've, you've expressed that sacred confession that, that Jesus is Lord of your life and, and you've expressed belief in him, you might start asking yourself, okay, well now what? 
Now what? Now what do I do? You know, for me personally, I'm going to kind of do what, what Jesus is saying through the parable of the talents. I'm going to do what Peter is saying to us through his letter. I want to build on the gospel message inside of me. I want to apply the gospel message to things of life. You know, one of the key traits that was also used to describe the first two servants was faithfulness. They were described as faithful servants. And when the, when the first readers would have heard that word faithful, they would have heard someone who is loyal, someone who is committed, someone who can be relied upon. I love the fact that the moon, and we even sang about the moon, in the Psalms it's described as the faithful witness in the sky. It's regular. It's consistent. When I think about applying the message, the gospel message to things of my life, I want to faithfully apply the message to my frustrations. I want to faithfully apply the gospel message to my disappointments. You know, what does it look like for a believer to go through disappointments? I want to faithfully run the gospel message, or I want to run beauty through the filter of the gospel message. How much prettier can a sunset and a sunrise be as I look at it through the filter of what Jesus has done in my life? I want to faithfully explore the Word of God as a love letter written specifically to me. You know, one of the things, too, the, the third servant who dug a hole and put his talent in the hole, I think where he really went sideways was he had a very inaccurate picture of the, of the master. Did you hear how he described the master? He said, I, I know you to be an exacting uh, master. You, 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 you reap where you do not sow. You take what's not yours. And you know, He was afraid if he traded it and he doesn't have it, he's going to have to pay out of his own pocket. He had all this, and the master kind of mocked him for that. That servant had a very inaccurate picture of the master. I want to spend time in the Word of God in a way that I do not have an inaccurate picture of God. I want to be faithful in that because I know that God will teach me about him through his word. If I faithfully put myself in a position to hear from him and hear that way, I want to faithfully view relationships through the prism of unconditional love. I want to take every relationship I have, clerks, coworkers, family, bosses, uh, people whose respect I covet, and I want to let God multiply that relationship in me. I want God to take each of those relationships to the next level, whatever level that is, a level that is defined by the gospel message. Jesus is saying to us, I'm coming back. It could be sooner. It could be later. I love you. I don't want you to be caught off guard. So do these things. Way bigger and deeper than taking an umbrella and watching out for deer. Be ready. Be prepared. Be aggressive. Jesus knows where the reward is. He knows where the payoff is. And that's, I think, his prayer for us. And it's his way of showing how much he loves us. Jesus gave us um, one more very sacred thing we can do to remember his love. And that's when he gave us the, the act of, of the Lord's Supper. And hopefully you grabbed a, a cup on the way in. And 
And in doing this, Jesus, when Je- Jesus basically said, I want you to do this till I come back. This is to get you by. And I think this can be, I love that we do this every week. This is our weekly reminder that Jesus loves us. And it's our weekly reminder to be ready and to be prepared and to live aggressively. Uh, if you're not a believer this morning, it, it may not take, make sense to take it. It doesn't make sense actually to take this because this is saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life and I love what you've done for me. Uh, maybe use this time to reflectively pray. But I gotta say, I, got, I can't share these parables without saying this. Maybe today's the day that you come to know Jesus. Maybe today's the day that you know him through salvation that's, and, and you're ready for his return. But I'm going to pray in a moment and, and as I pray, just as you feel led, rip the little thin layer and that gives you the, the bread and then rip the, the rest of the, the lid and that'll give you the, give you the juice that represents the blood of Jesus. The bread, of course, representing his broken body. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for your reminders. Uh, thank you mostly. You are coming back. Jesus, you are coming back. I thank you for how you have gently um, nudged us in, in showing us how you love us and by telling us how to live and what to expect in your return. Father, as we enjoy partaking in your last supper and remembering your broken body and your shed blood. May we do this with the forbearance and the knowledge that you are coming back. I thank you for that. Father, we pray this and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.